Hello and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, poet and playwright Mark Antony Rossi. In this, our second year, we continue to explore the meaning of being an artist in an ever-changing digital world. Now, without further ado, here is your host. Hi, folks, and welcome back to Strength of a Human. This is your host, Mark Anthony Rossi, poet and playwright. We have a, a wonderful uh, guest here. We're doing our interview uh, series again, which, as you know, uh, is always a blessing because it's not such an easy thing to do with people's schedules and times, and, and even the times we're in now, it's probably even more difficult. Although, for some reason, maybe more people are more home and have been able to get more done. <laughs> but we have uh, Michelle Westerwall, a Canadian writer, he is the 2020 Faces Awards favorite author and publisher. Wow, that's pretty awesome. He is a publisher of Broken Keys Publishing. Uh, a number of his titles are um, A Dark Corner of My Soul. i got to check that one out. I'm not familiar with that one yet. Um, a Sun and Moon, which I am familiar with. Uh, full disclosure, I helped write the, uh, the foreword for that and uh, certainly uh, proud of that effort. What, what a hell of a book that was. He also uh, has done a number of fiction projects, including the the Refuse Chronicles, uh, the Symbiote Trilogy, which definitely means there's three books. Uh, Michelle, welcome back to the show, and thank you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here, Mark. I was having a horrible voice the other day. Uh, I'm almost there now. I'm not perfectly there yet, but I hold a lot better than a couple of days ago. It happens every so often, and then I'm, I'm, I'm stuck like anybody else that, you know, that feels that you, you have to press forward regardless, if not out of professionalism, just because... You know, you're preaching about art, and you don't want to be a jerk, and you know, just not do it. But uh, I tell you, that journal episode I did—that had to been like the most vocally difficult thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> uh, are we still there? Yeah, I'm still oh, here. Okay, great, great. Got a no problem. Wanted to make sure yeah. I didn't lose you or anything. Yeah, so I'm definitely uh, glad that I've had my voice almost back to normal over here for the interview show because I said, oh, my God, I got this appointment with this wonderful fellow over here, and, and I'm hoping I can actually speak. <laughs> but it, it's Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, it's, it's working out. But, you know, sometimes, without sounding like a weirdo, um, the interview is, is a, a, another blessing because it means that I don't have to speak as much. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, tell us about some of the things you've been doing. I, I know you have a, a number of things going on. You had a couple of really interesting anthologies that's going on. And as you know, for me, I've never been the greatest fan of those, but I really like what you're trying to do because at least you're trying to keep it fresh and interesting. Lots of times these anthologies, I've just sort of turned them out because, you know, they they just seem like talk about the same stuff they did 10 years ago. And I just it's hard to be interested. Yeah, no, I mean, one of the things, this 2020 was a, needless to say, interesting year. Um, like you said in the intro, I did win the Face of Auto Award for a favorite publisher, and I figured it'd be a launching ground for something. This is the first time I've actually published books that weren't of my own. 
Um, one of them that was released was Symphonies of Horror, which is a collection of H.P. Lovecraft's works. And then also planned was the anthology Thin Places. Thin Places was originally going to be launched in spring, but then COVID hit, so kind of got put on hold and knocked back, and we had to be waiting for a while, partly because the printers weren't open, and then even if I could have gotten it printed, you need avenues to market and sell it in, right? And if at that time, everything was still closed. So yeah. it's being released on September 30th. But the idea behind it was there's 14 local authors. Some are award-winning, some are well-established, some are the first time in print. Um, the genres are ranged from sci-fi to poetry to dystopia, cosmic horror, comedy, some are whimsical, fantasy, spiritual, horror, weird fiction, apocalyptic, drama. I mean, the idea behind the only criteria for Thin Places was it had to deal with alternate universes, but it did not have to be sci-fi. I love things that uh, have uh, crossover genres like that. And one of the things we've been trying to do is keep it local, at least in Ottawa. We have the forward written by Cody Jeffries, who is, uh, she's a host and one of the radio stations. Uh, the editor is from Ottawa as well, so is Broken Keys Publishing. And then also challenging in these times is how do you do a book launch in a time of COVID? Like, how do you do, you, you can't get those gatherings of people. So what I've been doing lately is I've been getting local personalities or celebrities to do readings, audio readings of some of the stories. And hopefully we're going to start moving that direction with it. All right. Makes that makes a lot of sense. It definitely is something new to hear because I'm sure there's other people that have said the same thing. Well, how, how do we do this in this sort of a time? I mean, it really, it really stretches your, your creative imagination, not to mention your, 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 your resources on, you know, how to effectively get this done. So I don't really don't envy the, the, the position. No, it's, it's a challenge, but I mean, it's good. The nice thing about this too is because there's so many authors involved, um, you also ultimately get cross-pollination. So, you know, you're not just marketing your own stuff, you're marketing everybody else's too. And that's not a bad thing because you all win from that, right? And it all comes down to marketing. I, don't, I think oftentimes people don't realize the value or the necessity of marketing. You need to get out there and push it. I, it's mantra of mine for for eternity here, especially on the show or even in um, uh, my uh, my articles about it. Because in the end, it makes no sense being a free individual in the freest publishing planet uh, ever. I mean, everything that we can do right now is free to do. We have no restraints anymore, and so therefore, whatever restraints are on you. Uh, they've been put on you by yourself, not, not by anyone else. That's right. Yeah. Limit yourself. I mean, a lot of people believe that, uh, you know, I've come up with an idea, I've written a book, I've got a printing. That's the end of the job. And it's not. That's just the beginning of the job. The, the work hasn't even started at that point yet. Yeah, I was dealing with somebody that was uh, putting together a book after a couple of years, and I don't know how, but they missed the fact that... Um, just to be able to get an agent, uh, you, you have to learn which ones are going to fit what you want to do, how you're going to approach each one, how you're going to write a, a cover letter and a synopsis that's going to get their attention with the understanding that because they have a track record 
they're in demands and because they're in the demands they're going to get hundreds of these how can you stand out amongst those hundreds just to get that one agent's attention who maybe says give me a sample chapter i mean that and that could be months just to do all of that it's not a joke and it's not a game uh, it is a process but if you're willing to take it seriously you'll definitely get somewhere yeah i agree i agree I mean, at the end of the day, I keep coming down to it is you have to sell yourself because nobody else will. You have to be the one knocking on doors. You have to be the one going out and getting people's attention. And it, it comes down to being relevant, uh, being up to date, being, you know, you need to get yourself out there. You need to plaster yourself on social media. You need to you need to push it to the point where people are sick of seeing your face is what you got to do. And to an external extent, I agree. And, and whoever else as surrogates can help you to do something like that to you know lend some additional credibility i don't know the complete culture of canada on on this particular subject but i could tell you in america uh, ironically as free as we've been we always seem to have a suspicion on anybody that does any version of self-promotion and especially in the arts it's almost like they look down on that so you have a lot of writers that have clung to this silly stereotype that if they talk about their work, somehow they invalidate it. And to me, not only is that self-defeating, it, it, it's practically uh, suicidal. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, like I said, you can't, if you sit back and be a wallflower, well, that's all you'll be is a wallflower. It's, it's not going to go any other direction. I mean, it's, sometimes it can be uncomfortable promoting yourself and, and there's a fine line in there too you've got to be careful you don't want to be like bragging but you do want to get to the point where you need to get your name out there you need to just be in the limelight you need to make connections and i think at, at the end of the day that's a huge thing is i've always believed in that too it's not in the beginning it's not what you know it's who you know it's connections and whether they're in the literary world or whether they're just in other circles it doesn't really matter because they can all lead to more exposure exactly right and i tell people this all the time i said put down those stupid stereotypes about self-promotion there really isn't any such thing you know if especially if it's somebody that you know is an independent author that's literally what you've done anyway is by by doing that that is an act of self-promotion since you're already in the water how about you start freaking swimming now you know yeah no it's true it's true but we got to also remember, too, that what you call networking is not necessarily the same thing as in the business world or in the political world. There really isn't a whole lot of politics involved as much as just, just about letting other folks know about what you have out there because uh, you might be able to return the favor. And to me, I, I never felt that that was something political. I, to me, it just seems to be natural instinct that if you're in the same vein of things, why not help each other? We, we live in the world right now where we don't do enough of that. Yeah, no, that's true. And, I, and that's interesting, too. I mean, one of the things I, as I move more and more forward with other authors that I know of, especially putting this final anthology together, is at the end of the day, you start discovering people that get the idea, that they realize that it's a, it's collaboration and that you help one another and you self-promote and cross-promote as well. And unfortunately, excuse me, unfortunately, you come across some individuals that they see it the opposite way. They see everything as a competition. And I try to avoid those ones simply because it's not. The way I see it is 
especially as an independent self-published author, um, any win of any one of you, everybody wins from that. And and I and I completely agree. I don't mean to put people in groups, but you know, if I had to deal with the shy ones versus the competitive ones, I have I have a better track record with the shy ones. Eventually, I can convince them to to understand how they need to put their own foot forward. They can do it in their own pace, but as long as they're moving forward, even if it's slowly, it's better than nothing. Where the competitive ones, I agree with you. They they honestly think that, you know, uh, you got this bar of soap and I got this bar of soap. So let's fight it out until whoever gets the cleanest or something. It's it's silly because what it really does, and in my opinion, is you you wind up tearing each other down rather than trying to figure out ways to build each other up. That's like yes, that's exactly what goes on. It's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. And like I said, I just I've come across a few of them. I just avoid them. It's it's not productive. You're not going to get anywhere with it. Yeah. But uh, there's plenty of people out there in multiple in industries that are more than willing to collaborate and help and like I said in this particular project I have I'm just looking at a list in front of me at least one two three three radio personalities that are on board to help one's a, a voice actress a country and western singer four radio personalities um, and that's just for some of the audio stuff it's it's amazing the people you can get and it's amazing it's just a matter of asking it's just a matter of getting to know people and it's it's really something else i mean even this has this is going to appear to have absolutely nothing to do with writing but uh on the 6th i'm scheduled for a meeting at town hall with the mayor and the deputy mayor in ottawa because they have a section for local talent in books and arts so i'm going to one of the books uh, a copy of thin place is going to be dropped off there and there's going to, of course, there's going to be promo pictures with the mayor and the deputy mayor. So I'm going to go dressed up nice, but also with a mask. Well, I know a woman that does masks in Ottawa. So she's got a mask made up for me to go with the suit. And that's another self-promotion, right? She gets the tag onto her product, and then right. that's that more people you get, right? You, you've got to find ways of getting that out like that. And they may not seem like they have anything to do with you, but it's, it's a personal that has – may not even know who you are sees it and questions who is this and that opens up another avenue that opens up another possibility and it's just creating social circles it is and to me of course makes a lot of sense but i think the fundamental problem with a modern writer is for some reason they they haven't really latched on to the fact that their job description has now expanded because of the new freedoms we have in the world the the digital onslaught and everything else that's going on it means that you can no longer just be a writer. You now have to be, to a certain extent, you know, your own your own publisher sometimes, your own agents, your own your own self um, self marketer, uh, your, your own press agent, all of that. And this is where I think a lot of people have problems with that because they're like, I don't know how to do that. Well, it's time to figure out how to learn to do that. And once you start learning to do that, like anything else, it'll become second nature. You might even become very creative at it or come out in different ways just like michelle's doing right now these are ways to teach all of us as writers folks and how you can do things beyond what you thought was writing and still have an impact and still get the word out there because that's what it's going to take going forward and because if you don't do that you know you're going to have something that's just going to sit there and maybe in your own corner of the house you're going to be proud of the work you did and you should be but if you want to go beyond that then you have to go beyond being a writer. That's right. 
Yeah, you have to promote yourself. You really have to get out there. I mean, an another challenge I think a lot of people face too is when you first begin doing this in the beginning, you're going to have, and I don't know if there's a proper name for it. I always refer to it as your resource pool. It's the initial group of people, family, friends, maybe coworkers that they're going to support you. They're going to buy the books. So in the beginning, it looks great. And a lot of people get turned off from that because when the moment comes where you're starting to have to market and sell to strangers, that's when you find out what everything's really made of. And that inevitably comes. And that's the hardest sell because they don't know you. They need to get to know you. And I think that ties into um, you need to market a persona. You need to market your persona as yourself, as an author. And that is something, at the end of the day, that's branding, right? That's marketing. You're selling yourself is what you're doing. You, you are. And I think that as long as you can look at the places you're trying to aim your book at, they might be individual places, you might need somebody else you know, to, to give you a hand. Uh, a perfect example is, uh, and I learned uh, with the show and even with my own writing, and, and I'm starting to make some ground now right now, is India is a really big market, especially for English language things. You have to approach it in a certain way, but you can't go out there independently and just say, check my stuff out because I speak English and so do you. You need somebody that's Indian to also help introduce you, to sort of smooth the ground, to let other people know that, you know, you, you have something worth saying and you're not some kind of jerk then things work better. So oftentimes, wherever yeah, you decide to go, you need somebody. If you want to market your book to the Garden Club, you, you might need the Garden Club member president to, to endorse it. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah, that kind of liaison. You really do, because you can't complain, well, I did all I can, but they're just not really making a connection. Well, unfortunately, you're still a stranger. And we know what the stranger is for the last 6,000 years of human history is the unknown, is the alien, is the fearful thing. That's what you are. Uh, you think that it stopped us because we sent people into space? No, we're still that same scared creature from 6,000 years ago. So guess what? The only way they're going to really check you out if somebody else who they trust is going to say, I think this person's all right. It's just that simple. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Yeah, it's not. A, it won't be a coincidence. You'll suddenly see things happening. You're like, well, how did that happen? Well, it's because somebody else introduced you. Then, once that happens, then you are on your own. Because then you have to speak for yourself. Then you have to perform, so to speak, and all of that to make sure that whatever someone has put faith in you is justified. And then you go with that. But sometimes you can't walk through the door until somebody opens it for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd love for us to all open our own doors, but that's not the world, and that's not really practical, and that's not realistic. In fact, uh, it, it rarely happens. So you have to have somebody to give you a, a hand in some way. I, I tell you right now, I'm always looking to get another market on the show because it's important right now. Us getting on board with Amazon so quickly with their new network now has been a big help. And, and Spotify has been enormously for places in the world I never get a chance to speak to before. Yeah. You know, I, I have listeners in countries that I, I didn't even know existed, you know, and I'm learning more about them because I think it's important. They're going to listen to me. I, I need to listen to them, you know. And um, yeah. But the important thing is in the end, you have to be able to, to make some kind of welcoming 
for those that that do welcoming you in, and 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 that's what I'm uh, trying to do because I have a I have a show here where I have a dashboard on the shows program where I can actually tell where people have listened to me from around the world. It literally tells me that it tells me where they did it from and 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 what time and everything. So it's amazing the information you can get. So it lets you know where you've you know you've made an impact on, and and, and who's able to help you and who's not. And also it helps you when when people email the the show, but I constantly have to do that because you can't sit around just thinking that people are going to pick up your show. You have to let folks know it exists, and you can't just think that just because you're English that there's only going to be a handful of countries. Nope. I'm at 37 countries right now that listen to the show. The last I checked, there's not 37 countries that exclusively speak English. So that just tells you that there's still people out there that listen to the show. Maybe they're expatriates, and maybe they just uh, have English as a second or third language, but... It still can be important to them if you make them important. That's right. Yeah. No, I mean, another great example is uh, a mutual friend of ours, Jenna. I mean, I think she works as, does she, doesn't, isn't she an editor for um, Aerial Chart Journal? Yeah she's, a, so, she's, right? yeah, she's one of our editors. She helps us out with some of the foreign uh, translation and, and some of the uh, the other uh, poets or writers that I normally wouldn't be able to be introduced with because she often speaks their language and can help translate their work. So that's an invaluable person. I know she's also a fashion, a fashion editor for a Canadian magazine, and I think that she actually earns her living doing translation for the government of Canada. So she's a hell of a gal. Yeah. I mean, I met you through her. Yes. And uh, that's a great thing. And then she's actually one of the contributing authors to uh, Thin Places. So, you know, it's a round world, right? This is a great example of how contact leads you places. It, it, it really, it really does because you never know the, the people that you're gonna you're gonna be brought forth. I mean, she's brought a lot of people to the Arrow Chart magazine and even a few to the show uh, to to really uh, give it more of an international scope. You know, as much as we can. I, I'm always on the handicap, and I, I don't apologize for it because I can't. But I, I I'm not gonna um you know shy away from it either that. You know, we're only as international as as much as you can speak English. That's just unfortunately the truth of it all. I mean, I'm much too old of a person, you know, to to adopt somebody else's language. I tell my Indian friends all the time. I go, you do realize there's 26 dialects in India, all competing on a business and governmental basis against each other to get things done. And somehow I'm supposed to go in there with English and they're all going to say, well, Mark's cool. Of course not. In fact, every time I get a language... That, that adopts a, to bring my show on board, I get two other languages saying, oh, he likes them more. So you, you can't really win. But the important thing for me is, in the end, as long as I'm in there somewhere, it means something versus just having the whole country shut out on the show because I don't want that. I know, Especially in a country that does have English as one of its predominant languages. Yes, sure. But it means you have to learn more about what's out there. And I, I, and I think that's really the... The problem with with the modern writer right now is that when they haven't figured out that their job description has now expanded to other things other than just writing, once they figure that out, they have to also understand that, you know, it means learning how you can market and learning new new things or even new places. Yeah, I think you touch upon something interesting, too. Even the concept of a a job description, description, I think a lot of authors don't realize that you do have a job description. Um, and and you, you kind of touched upon this 
you mentioned me in a previous podcast, thank you very much, but about we have an obligation as a writer, as a poet, to our society in general, as well as being a voice of, I mean, I, I, I'm a firm believer, not so much that you need to upset people, but I think part of the job is you need to rattle people's cages. You need to wake them out of the stupor they are in. You may need to, if you are plain and boring and uneventful, well, that's not, you're not really doing your job. I think part of your job is you need to wake people up. You need to be that voice. You need to be, and it doesn't have to be shock, but it does have to be, you need to speak the truth, regardless of what surrounds it. And I think a lot of people don't realize, and maybe this is just my opinion, I think you're obligated to do those things. I don't I don't think it's a, a an opinion that it's just your own. I really think that a lot of people uh, share that. They're just not really sure how far they, they can go. And I think in, in many instances, um, you got folks. I mean, I had someone wrote me the other day, and it was it was depressing. It was a depressing note. But they pretty much said, uh, Mark, I don't know how I can go beyond just being a writer because I just feel I'm going to get lost in in the marketplace. And that, that's pretty much it. Was a, a whole letter of that being repeated a hundred times. And all I can reply back is, the only people that are going to be lost today are the people that won't open their mouth. Because you're right. Yeah. If you don't open your mouth, you will be lost. You'll be lost by default. Or you'll be lost because you haven't figured out how to gain enough strength to say something. Or maybe this is what you choose to do out of fear. But whatever it is, as long as you open your mouth, you're not going to be lost. Not symbolically, not metaphorically, and not eventually on the practical level. But if you don't open up, you, you are going to be lost. And I can't save everyone i i can't spotlight everyone we all need to do our part and i do more than my part to help as many people as possible because i think that's important but without trying to sound like a strange protestant pre preacher over here or something i mean we do have to reward the ones that are trying to work on their own things too we can't just grab everybody who doesn't want to do anything hope that's going to rattle them and then you find out they go back to that same position again because not only is that disappointing, you know, you're wasting my time then. And I don't want my time wasted. Yeah, that's right. You need to have growth. You need to see growth. It doesn't have to be, you know, I just did six books this year or something like that. But it has to be something that shown that you're putting your best foot forward out there. Because your voice as a writer isn't just being an interview on a podcast or, or hanging out with the mayor. Sometimes your voice is just about, you know, I sent out about 16 short stories and 12 poems. And I got a few of them picked up in the last couple of months. Here you go. That's your voice out there, too. That's just as important. That's right. That's right. And at the end of the day, if you feel crappy, at least you know you've done that. You know, I didn't snag an interview this month, but I got three poems picked up and this dude's going to run my article. It's still something to hang your hat on. It's not like you're deceiving yeah. yourself. But you have to be able to have something that you feel you've done, you know, at the end of the week or the end of the month or something to know that you still matter and that your efforts do count. Because they do, as long as you continue to go out there, you're going to be successful. It's just a question of how you frame that success and how you go about it. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I find sometimes um, 
one of the things, I guess it's a lesson people need to understand too, is that I know I, I can only speak from my own point of view, but at times it's like a roller coaster ride. There's, there's incidences where, you know, you submit something and it gets published or an article goes out or you get the interview or whatever, and you feel like a million bucks, you're on the top of the world. And then the next day, it's like a roller coaster ride. You get a bad comment or a really cutting review or something, and you feel like you just want to throw in the towel and that's the end of it. But that roller coaster ride, I think, is normal. It's regular. And I know some people, it's enough to make them quit, and you shouldn't. I mean, it's one of those things where my definition of failure is not trying. Other than that, you don't fail. You learn from it. And that's, that's exactly right. And it's really about when I speak with people, especially with people that are suffering through various depressions or just various inactions, but they feel that they have work that's vital. And in some cases, I, I get to look at it and go, yeah, this, this is pretty damn good. But what are you going to do about it? Because I only could do so much. I mean, some people I got no problem picking up and put in the aerial chart because the work is worthy to be out there. But the whole point is I can't drag them out of their, their house in Manitoba. Or I had some guy over in Kenya, lovely fellow. He's like, I don't know, Mark, I'm just I'm frightened. I go, I don't know, are you writing things against the government? You think they're going to break your house and kill you? Uh, no, I'm writing about my girlfriend. They go, what the hell are you frightened about? She's going to kill you? Come on. The funny, the funny, the funny thing is, is that and then I tell these people this story all the time. And people laugh, but it's the truth. We think that the guy in Kenya or the girl over in Egypt or the chick over in Paris, somehow they're all different. But you're going to find out that they're all the same. They might speak a different language. They might practice a different religion and culture, but they're all the same. They all got a girlfriend, a boyfriend problem. They all got some painy-ass local official pissing them off for taxes or, or stupid law about dogs or garbage. They all got problems about this and that, and they all pretty much have the same kind of argument. They also, as writers, have to deal with the same doubts and insecurities that we all do. So once they start communicating more amongst themselves, they're going to find out, wow, this is really pretty common. I'm like, yeah, it is pretty damn common. You think I'm just telling you this because... I'm on the impressed the Kenyan week uh, over here. No, I'm telling you because it's the truth. I'm telling you because I just talked to the Egyptian guy and he's telling me some crazy story about this girl like, harassing him at his work and he can't stop it. And he's married now. And I'm like, I don't know. Did you do something weird? He goes, no, I just met somebody and now they're going crazy about me. So uh, again, this is not a guy that's going to tell you about the Middle East peace process. He's not going to tell you about the love, the lovely pyramids. He's telling you about some girl that's harassing him. And he lives in Egypt because guess what? Just like they say, all politics is local. Well, guess what? Most of the things in our life are pretty damn local too. We all tend to have pretty much the same problems. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I guess that touches back onto the job description, description of an author. Um, we are supposed to find the commonalities between people because if you can't relate to anything a person writes, well, they're not going to read it, right? And it's just a matter of seeing it from different points of view. And I agree with you. We are, at the end of the day, all the same. We may speak different languages. We may look different. We may come from different areas. But we all struggle. It's the human condition, I guess, ultimately. It's what we deal with. It, it is. But unfortunately, for the good and for the bad, whenever we 
stress, even if we do it in a, in a moderate and, and, and polite manner, our cultural or our religious or our nationality differences, or even our gender at times, or sexuality, sometimes that puts a different spin on maybe what we're doing because the person doesn't know what we're doing. They now only see that part. They see that superficial. Oh, she's from France. I don't know if I'm going to understand the French culture, so I won't read that poem. Um, yeah, I think I got the Egypt's uh, pyramids down, so forget about the Egyptian writer. Or uh, this one one lady, she puts out um, work from Poland, and she does not speak English. She has a translator. God bless her. Beautiful work. Definitely stuff that all of us can relate. You know, and she had even mentioned to me through a translator, well, Mark, why don't you really promote the whole, I go, I don't promote the whole cultural thing on aerial chart because I learned a long, long time ago that if you want to add that into your bio, I'm not going to edit that out because I don't, I don't believe that's correct. But I'm not going to put underneath everybody who writes something, this dude is from Poland, this chick is from, from Paris, this guy is from Africa. Because all that does, yeah. all that does to people is steers them away from things. Or maybe in some instances steers them just towards that. They need to be able to feel the full experience of whatever I'm publishing. And then they can make their own judgments. And then when they do make their own yeah. judgments, those judgments will be individual to the writer and not to the culture. So they could read the Egyptian That's writer right. and say, yeah, I got him. I mean, I guess they're, they're, they're getting their ass kicked over there too. Cool. Or, yeah, that, that, that Parisian girl was all right. Or that, that guy from Africa makes some sense. Or they might even be able to say, you know, uh, I don't really catch what that Polish girl was saying, but I'm glad she did her best. But at least they're not judging it just on that superficiality because sometimes folks don't realize that whatever they feel is a point of pride can also be a point of distraction on an artistic level. Uh, I, 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 you know, that kind of ties in also to, um, and I don't think this is, I don't want to say this is a necessity, but it's a definitely a perk for writers is the more you've traveled or the more of the world you've seen, the better point of view you're going to carry. It, it enriches you because it also makes some of the petty things we get tied up into, we can see them clearly. We can see that there are just stupid little petty things. And the larger the worldview you have, the better your voice is going to be. I know, I know that's definitely the case because I'm in touch with lots of people from my Air Force days. A lot of people I met in the art world that are traveled around, including myself. So I know that's definitely the case that uh, I always uh, gel better with those that have done travel because they uh, understand something about uh, sacrifice and they understand something about communicating to people because when you move around around if you don't really have a skill for that you're going to be a real lonely person and it's going to be a horrible horrible you know experience through your life versus those that they feel now they have to adapt and, and them being ad adaptable it makes them uh, have a broader worldview and, and oftentimes i think makes them more well-rounded yeah oh yeah absolutely i mean i know a few years ago uh, well, more than a few years ago now, my daughter was in high school at that time, and there was a lot of issues she was struggling with, and then we had gone on a Mediterranean cruise, and I saw it in her, and she saw it. She saw all the stupid, petty high school stuff for exactly what it was, and it didn't bother her anymore. She changed. She grew, and it was a positive, very, very positive, healthy growth. 
Well, something about world travel, I know I felt it, uh, it ages you much more. I spent six years around the world constantly, and by the time I come back, and I was still a young man at 24 when I came back from all that travel uh, back to the United States, I felt more mature. I felt older, and I also felt uh, even more appreciative to America in certain ways. And I don't say that as a way to put down anybody else in the world. It's just that when you spend a long time away from home, there's certain things you took for granted. Then you're like, well, I need to appreciate those a little bit more. And, and, and I think in many ways, I felt anyway that it made me a, a, a more, um, I guess you could say, uh, involved citizen than it was before. Oh yeah, it, it 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 definitely changes you. It shapes you, and I, like I said, going bringing it back to from a writing point of view or a poet or an author, I'm not. I don't want to go so far as to say you need that because it almost puts it into an elitist kind of position. But it definitely strengthens you. It does, and it's but it's hard a hard thing to promote because I always try to keep in mind that not everybody has the same opportunities or the same advantages. And I don't mean that in in the classic American liberal way of of viewing that sort of thing. I just mean that, you know, if you didn't elect to join the foreign service or the military, you know, if you don't work for a business that has foreign ties and you do travel, I mean, most of the times the only travel you're really going to do is on a personal basis with your family. That might not be the easy thing sometimes to do because of financial or otherwise. So, I mean, I I don't want to just tell everybody, if you don't do this, you know, you can't be well-rounded. But I, I will say that whenever you can or whenever you do, it definitely helps you, even if it means uh, leaving uh, parts of your area to go another part of your own country. I mean, Canada is pretty big, too. And I, I know from my own experience that being on the east coast of Canada is a whole lot different than being on the west coast of Canada. It's a different life experience. Totally different. Totally different. Yeah, people don't realize that. They think, oh, they're all Canadians. They're drinking beer and watching hockey. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> no, 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 no. We got to throw puts in there too. Yeah, a lot of people don't know country music's pretty big in Canada. They don't realize that Canadians do a lot of farming. That there's a lot of Canadians doing oil, oil well work and mining. This, a lot of the things that are pretty common in America, they're not that all different in, in Canada. So sometimes we we look at Canada too much apart from America and not realize that there's a lot of commonalities there too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm very, I'm very of, of course, fortunate to have a lot of connections with Canada, yourself and, and many others. So I always feel blessed um, in the market ends of things. Uh, Canada is only second to the United States on people listening to my show. So I'm always uh, blessed by that. And it continues to, to grow uh, so much so that uh, my network actually has a special Canadian section on my dashboard. So it actually breaks down the provenance now, too. So I know who's listening in Quebec. And I know who's listening in British Columbia and all that. It's amazing because we, we're getting so much uh, you know, positive feedback from, from Canada. Uh, I don't know if that means there's not a lot of podcasts in Canada or not. I, I don't really know. Um, but um, I would hope there would be. But it definitely means that at least people oh, are think, listening, and that's great. I, I think there is a lot of podcasts in Canada. I mean, the, the, one of the most biggest differences is it's just going to be sheer population uh, that's really primary when it comes to things like that it's just it's a smaller population i think it's a tenth of the states but other than that like you look at the population dispersed 
it's mostly across the southern border of, this, of Canada, just because you get further north, it's just it's not so nice anymore. It starts getting quite cold. Yeah, you'll be sharing your poems with a polar bear, you know? <laughs> Do you want to be sharing your poems with a polar bear? Could be the only thing that saves your life. He might just say, stop, and say, okay, I don't want to eat him. He's he's annoying. I'll leave. <laughs> <laughs> now, the other thing, too, I wanted to talk about is playing. Now, we've talked offline, off air, about this coming up, too, is I've been contemplating, I think we're going to go ahead with it, is doing another anthology of poetry, a collection of poems. Um, I'm leaning in the direction of the title that will probably end up being Love and Catastrophe Poetry, and the themes falling around the catastrophes of 2020, including the uh, the fires in Australia. And we tend to forget that happened because it was before COVID. But uh, there's, there's been quite a few stuff. Um, the pandemic, clearly the biggest one. I mean, Hurricane Laura, it's not the only one, but that was a big one that hit in the south. Yeah, well, we definitely and, uh, we definitely remember about the Australian fires. I know it's coming off the media radar because of COVID and everything, but I, I distinctly remember it. I remember us giving money, worried about the koala bears all being burned to death. Uh, we, we've had a number of firefighters from America go over there and, and give them a hand, and then they came over to help us in the California fires, so it's great to see countries trying to work with each other, especially since... You know, America and Australia doesn't always get along politically about things lately. It's great to see that they put that aside and did right things towards their countries. And maybe we'll learn something about how we can manage our forests better because that's part of what was going on with it. I think both sides really need to learn more about that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the idea. That's the plan. That's the direction, hopefully. I mean, I have to say, I've enjoyed the the anthology or getting it put together it's a bit of work it's a very different kind of work very different than publishing your own work because it's only you and uh, the dynamics of that is drastically a whole nother creature but it's uh it's fun it's something i think i'm going to go forward with again hopefully well i i like what you're doing you definitely make it interesting and, and compelling which is why I've you know pulled away from the anthologies in the past because I, I felt that in many ways they've become less interesting and compelling. You know, and oftentimes they had themes that just like, you know, just, to me this wasn't very interesting. This is an anthology about old people. This is an anthology about, about, about black people who love space exploration. This is an anthology about lesbians who like to, to dive in the, in the ocean in Greece. I mean, this is kind of getting carried away after a while. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, I guess you can also, one of the threats is you can fall into that uh, unique or subgenre of things. And again, I, I keep going back to you need to connect with people. And I find that there's some there's some genres or groups that I I, I struggle to understand myself because especially if it, it's I don't have an issue with um, what would you call it niche markets right and i'm okay with that but, if you can if you can grow one sure but you have to relate to the average person because if you can't you'll you'll never get people reading it like and i kind of struggle with understanding that one because i get they're there i get there's a you know by definition a minority is a minority because they're not a majority but the job is to connect and make it relevant you know what i mean i know this guy and He's not going to move off this position, and that's fine because I'm not going to criticize him, but he's like, 
Mark, all I give a damn about is steampunk. That's all I want to do. He goes, I don't care who's checking it out, who's buying it, what part of the world it is. They'll all get together and fill this niche for me to be able to buy my work and I can push it. And that's what he does. He works really hard in, on doing that. I mean, he, he, he talks with people from Japan that barely can speak English, but they like this, that he's doing steampunk. And that's what he does. He does these little mini sci-fi novellas steampunk thing. That's all he wants to write. That's all he cares about. He goes, this is my thing. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with that. Because if you don't really feel that what you're doing is for everybody, if you don't want to reach for the commonality, because no one says you have to, then maybe you should just work on that niche and do what you're doing to the best of your ability. And that's what he's doing. So for him, that that's a great thing. And I don't know if that's for everybody, but I know it's for him. Yeah, no, no, that's... Uh... It's definitely a way to go. <laughs> yes, I know. I've never heard anyone do that before, but that's what Reed does. He thinks maybe eventually other people might figure that out too. I go, but yeah. I go, remember, your particular thing is like a subgenre is a subgenre. That's the only way you can get away with that. You can't just do that on this side for fiction because you've got a thousand people that literally are your competitors, even if they're not trying to be. That's just the way it is because the market is full of that sort of thing. So I guess if you have a some kind of you know subgenre of science fiction or something, you know I don't know feminist science fiction or something like that. Maybe that could work if you can get enough people to get interested in that and keep it on. Yeah, it's it's a big task and I don't envy anybody that wants to do it, but I, I wouldn't definitely not put them down. I mean, it, I I think it's interesting just from that standpoint. Yeah, I mean it's we live in a different age too because I look at um, I look for example look at Netflix. There's programs that succeed in Netflix that before streaming was around on traditional cable would have never made it because they hit that niche market, but they hit it everywhere on the planet. And that's, you know, that's an advancement of technology we have today that allows those things to exist. But in the writing world, that applies as well with ebooks. But I think the a risk a lot of people need to be careful of with ebooks, because I've met and spoken to a lot of up and coming authors who figures I'm just going to publish ebook exclusively and nothing else because there's no cost associated with it for print. But the, the thing is there is a, there can be a cost associated with it because you got to market it one way or the other. And the danger is if you don't do it right, if you're exclusively electronic is you are just one voice in a sea of potentially millions screaming into the cyber board. Again, it goes back to this. What do you do to stand out? What do you do to, you know, it pulls full circle to marketing again. You need to successfully promote and market yourself. Well, it's definitely a subject I know a little something about because I do electronic publishing a great deal. And what we discovered is the marketing for eBooks, it has to be, it has to be more intense and, and oftentimes it has to be more personal and oftentimes it has to be something that really counts upon networks and, and circles of influence. If you could do that, you could sell the books. If you're not willing to do that or if you can't do that, it, it, there's, there's not much going to happen. So it, it, you have to be more involved in it than than the traditional print book because not, not to start an argument, but you can get a print book printed out and you can open a table someplace and eventually you're going to sell some print books no matter where you're at. Where ebooks is is really yeah. different. No, no, I, if you don't deliver it, if you don't deliver the message directly to that person, they're not going to buy it. Period. Right, I agree with you, and that's what I'm saying with the ebooks is, 
if you think you are going to get into a market of I put it on an ebook platform and that's it, it won't work. You need to market it. And that's a lot of people make a mistake of not thinking it has to be marketed. Because it does. You have to you have to customize it, you have to hit certain there's there's a lot of work involved with doing that. It's a very different nature of work, but there's work nevertheless. It's not just a matter of press go and that's it, you're done. Yeah, well, it's it's unfortunately it's it's a, a fallacy of of some writers to not understand, you know, the full nature of of that. But to educate people real quickly on the show here, all right, it's called an electronic book. That means that you have to approach it electronically. Okay, that's what that means. You don't 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 lose that word in the, in the whole translation of all of this. Literally. Just to have the book out there, you have to make sure that you have keywords in there that will help people when they search out stuff possibly find your book. Because even when you're directly marketing to people, other people can find it if you've marketed correctly, if you made sure the right keywords are in that. Just like any other type of a, of article or other, other kind of writing. So that's also important as well. The artwork on on ebooks, it's absolutely essential. I, I'm, I'm sorry about the... the a book does not, you know, a cover will not judge a book. No, in ebooks, if you don't have a decent cover, they'll literally just turn you down and go to someplace else. I hate that cover. They won't even read the book. And then after that, they have to read a description. So you don't write enough That's interesting description after you put a greater great cover together. Again, no chance they're going to buy this. So before someone can even do anything, even after you've directly marketed to them, you got to have an interesting cover and you have to have a really good description. And you make sure you have your keywords out there. So there's a few things you have to do well for you for the book to even have a chance to sell. If you could do that, it will sell. And and, and that's that's the truth that the it's not just with ebooks. The cover in general, I think, is I know the old adage, and we all agree with it. Don't judge a book by its cover. But the fact of the matter is, it happens. It happens a lot. Books are judged by the covers. And then I know whether it's in print or whether it's People have a window of maybe half a second to catch somebody's attention, and that's the job of the cover to do that. If you don't, they won't even look at it twice. So, you know, I've seen some covers put out there by indie authors that are, they're painful, and they look like they're amateur, and that's, you need to stay far away from that. Uh, I've seen some horrible ones, and sometimes they even put themselves out there, what do you think this cover? I'm like, God, are you seriously, you want to ask me this question? you got to be kidding me. And in some instances, I've told writers, they get offended. I don't care. They, they need to know the truth, especially if they're really asking honest questions about marketing. Don't have six and seven names out there, okay? I've seen some woman, she had five names on the cover that she created herself. Who the hell is even going to remember the first two names, let alone the other three? How many friggin' names do you need to have for, for, the, for the book? I mean, this is the name of the author. The whole point of you out there is for people to remember you. You might have to pare that down. I mean, you want to be proud of all the names you have? No one says you can't. Do that in public? No. Do that in private. In public, you might just have to have two names. You can't have five names and you expect everyone's going to remember you. It's crazy. You shouldn't have any more than three, really. We have short memories. Well, it's just too long. I mean, I can't even remember it. I mean, Well, you know, at the end of the day, I think... I think we tend to forget that people don't, unless they know you, 
they're not going to remember you. And again, this goes back to that marketing thing. You need to market a memorable name, a simple name, something that people will remember. They'll, you know, they got to carry it forward with them. Well, it's really, I found with a lot of writers who I talk to privately, who won't admit this publicly, but there's a lot of writers out there that are so interested in art, so fascinating with writing, uh, that they uh, don't care about anything that considers uh, commerce or commercial. And because of this, they look down on it. And because of that, it causes them to fail because there are certain realities out there they, they can't be avoided, and you can't deny them just because you don't like them. That's right. No, that's right. That's absolutely right. Um, I, I, I come across that a lot, especially, like like I said, this year has been different because this is the first year I put out two books that were not my own. They were other collections. And you have to think differently like, like that. I mean, it's one thing when you're publishing your own work, you're basically a driver's car with me. If it goes great, you take the credit. If it goes sideways, it's still on you. But when you're dealing with a larger thing, you have to hit. You, you have to consider the audience. You have to consider how I'm going to market this. You have to consider venues and avenues, and you know and that. And adding to what's going on now with the pandemic, that becomes that much more challenging. Yeah, I can't even imagine the stuff you have to do, but it's the reason why I have. So much respect and so much uh, reverence for you as an only writer, as a publisher, because you've taken into those realities seriously and figured out a way to, you know, to make them work and, and to make them happen. And maybe in, in your own way by doing this, that's a, a, a good educational message for the writers and for other people that are listening that you need to start taking some of these things into account. No one's saying that you're supposed to add water and become instant Michelle. But what you're saying, although, is that some of the things he's doing, it has relevancy for years to come. So start figuring out what he's doing as well. I mean, we always, I know I do anyway, share whatever I, I find and discover because it's not some secret. I like more people to do this because the more they do this, uh, the more they're able to help each other. And the more that each, uh, the writers help each other, I, I think it makes the writing world a lot much easier because sometimes the wording world can reflect the, the other world which where folks are, you know, mean and selfish and, 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 and uncommunicative. And you think that we would have a better world as writers. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't. No, we, I agree. We need to, again, it goes back to, like I said before, about we need to, any one writer's success is all of our successes because we build upon one another. And, you know, if, People don't get that. Well, they're, they're going to be in a lonely world. It's just going to be a tough world. And, and I think lots of times people's disappointment with writing in general is that they feel it's become a lonely task. And I always remind people, well, initially it is a lonely task because it's not like you're, you're writing with a group of people next to you or something. You're doing it by yourself. So it's supposed to be a lonely task. After that, it's up to you how to fill it up with with life and vigor and communication and, and world outreach. That's up to you now because that's what's called marketing. You have to do that. 
Yeah, no, that's it's it's so true. It is the process itself is a very isolated one by nature. Um, I can't imagine how it couldn't be. But uh, and you're right. There's the other side of the coin too. When that part of it is done, and it could be a long part of it. The other part of it is not just marketing, but mingling and uh, promoting and meeting people and engaging and talking and that's what this extremely social aspect of it and it needs to be it has to be i mean i know i'm not going to say all authors i met but a large amount of them that i met are introverts to the point where they don't want to be out there in the limelight they don't want to be talking to people which it's unfortunate but you have to you must yeah i i, I know that's that is the case for me speaking to writers as well that i found something very similar and I don't, I don't put them down because I, I acknowledge what a number of writers have told me that makes sense, of course. It's like, well, Mark, you know, traditionally over the centuries, writers have been that nerdy, shy, introverted person. And this is how, by writing, they got their voice out. So it's kind of hard for you or anyone else to blame us that we haven't changed because the world has changed. I'm like, yeah, you're right. The world has changed. And if you don't figure out a way to change that, you might miss some of that. And I agree. You're right about all of that. There's no doubt about that. But, and again, I always remind people, regardless of the centuries of this, we have centuries of slavery and we changed that. So you really can't say I got centuries of invertedness in writing. So I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to continue with that tradition. In the end, you have to remind people that they do have their own responsibilities on what they need to do with their writing and ultimately we make choices so if you do not choose to engage the world or you do not choose to market that's a choice that you're making and you're going to have to live with the consequences of that choice i'm not making fun of you i'm not even criticizing you that's just the truth yeah no you have to market you have to you i i I'm going to sound like a broken record when I talk about it, but you you have to. And evenly more so, I think that you need to be creative in that. You need to think outside the box. And you need to come up with ways of getting it out there. And you just have to. It's it's not an option. It's That's the whole nature. At the end of the day, I think sometimes people miss the point that writing or poetry can be an art, and it is. But there's also a business aspect to it. And you have to be able to toggle back and forth between the two of them. And that can be difficult. That's a difficult transition to go from one to the other because one is about, you know, you, your your imagination is the limit. The sky is the limit. You can do what you want. You can imagine in worlds nobody else would have. It's it's absolute 100% creativity. But then you switch into business mode. You need to be in that mode. You need to start asking questions. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I don't do any of the stuff that I do here. I'm not driven by money. That's not the primary goal here. But I would not do it if I didn't make money. And that's an aspect that has to be considered too. There are some scenarios where you can't or it's difficult to. I mean, I was I was offered to do a, a, a book signing or a book event at a baseball stadium here, which was a really strange avenue. And, uh, you know, they were going to put the name on the billboard in, the, in between the innings and, but I kept sitting there thinking to myself, people are going to a baseball game. What are they going to do when they come out and see an author? Like it's, it was such an odd mix 
And then the fee they wanted was, it wasn't ridiculous, but it was high enough. And I sat back and you have to do the math. How many books do I have to sell to cover that fee? And I sat there and I said, no, I mean, it'd be great to get the exposure, but I just can't see it working. I just can't see that one working. And I see people fall in that trap all the time. I mean, um, a lot of times I know a handful of authors that do the Comic-Cons. And I don't know about in the States, but I know in Canada, getting a table at a Comic-Con is very, very expensive. You could be looking at $1,000 to about $1,300 just for the table. And that's not counting uh, your travel, your food, if you have to stay overnight. That's solely the cost of being there. And you've got to do the math. How many books do you have to sell just to break even? That's crazy. And, you know, it's it's the dangerous trap because you, it is crazy. It's a dangerous trap because you can't say, for example, I'm going to do this Comic-Con knowing I'm not going to come ahead, but the exposure is great, which is half true, I think. Um, partly because if you're going to do it ex ex uh, solely for the exposure, you need to market the hell out of that before and afterwards. And the other thing I've seen, with, I don't know if you've ever been to Comic-Cons or not, there is so much um, banner and sign pollution that you'll probably disappear in it. So I, I debate, I'm not going to say they're bad ideas, but I'm going to say you need to look at it from a very stringent business point of view because you probably won't come out ahead. I don't. I, I stopped doing those conventions a long time ago. But I know somebody that does them exclusively and, and, and does well in them. I, I guess he's developed an audience or a following with that sort of thing. Uh, but there's, there's few and far between, few between that, that can really do well. Because you're right, that the math makes no sense. Even if you decided to uh, go into denial about your hotel and travel expenses and just stick with the expenses of the convention... You, you probably need to sell 150 books literally in that in that sitting just to be able to pay for everything and and, and make a few dollars it, it not only is that not practical it, it's That's it's right. not re realistic because just think about the time you have to have there you literally have to sell a book every couple of minutes so what kind of human interaction are you having how the hell does anyone even want to take the book when you have to literally go blah blah blah, blah say, buy it right now i mean it doesn't make any sense all the way around it sounds uh, inhuman, subhuman, <laughs> or, or or just completely unrealistic. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, again. I'm not I'm not trying to. Uh, my point here isn't to knock it down because, like you said, there are people that they have it down to a science that it makes it work. But you need to be careful of those situations. Is my point is you need to be cautious because they're not always. I've heard so many times where this and that and the other event, well, the traffic is this many people, which sounds great. But another great example in Ottawa, there's two particular markets that I've been involved in. One is the Bywood Market downtown. I always do well on that. And the other one is a, it's called the Parkdale Market, which is a different location. I've done the Parkdale Market once a year for three years and not sold one single solitary book. It's because of the demographic there. I have a friend of mine, another author in Ottawa, um, she's gone to that particular market and sold out because her niche market hits that demographic. And again, you need to pick the right times it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And it's not a failure. It's a matter of I'm, I'm pitching to the wrong market. I'm pitching to the wrong people. And, you know, you've got to be aware of that too because that could come across as very devastating if you're not sure, you know, if it's one of the first few times you've gone out and tried something, 
you're going to you're going to think like you're doing it wrong. And maybe it's just the wrong market. Maybe you're just not in the right place. You've got to try different areas. You've got yeah. to try, see what works experiment i i agree because you have to do some sort of research to kind of get an idea to know your audience otherwise you're right it's just you know you're spitting in the wind and you wonder why it's coming back you know yeah and it can be devastating i mean uh we've all had bad events myself included and let me tell you it doesn't feel so good no i i was talking to um to a writer a few months back and I'm going to be doing the show next month on the spoken word. But um, he was talking to me about all the different events he was doing, but how they were not propelling the sales of his book, which he was hoping it would be. Because he said, well, Mark, I'm in the audience where people are listening to the work. They know other writers. They, they like what I'm doing. I get a lot of good comments on my website, but I'm not selling the book. And I just reminded him, I said, you're only going to get so much from the spoken world audience. I, I don't know why you expect anything different. I know somebody that actually put a CD out of the spoken word stuff and they actually sold that out. But they didn't sell that on the events. They sold that on their site, which means that people who never even went to the event were buying it. So I go, you have to understand where you're at. I said, I guarantee you that if I have you promote your book on my site, I could probably sell more books for you than you could do on, on going to six of these places. We did it as an experiment, and it worked. And I'm like, does this mean I'm better than you? Does this mean I'm smarter than you? No, it just means that sometimes people only buy it in a certain way, in a certain place. That's just not one of them. You're just not going to do a lot of business there. doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Yep. This just means that your expectations on that front should not be anything. Just go do the event. Have That's fun right. doing it. You have a little business card. Here's my site. I got books and stuff on there. If you want to check out anything else, God bless. Thank you for showing up. And that's what you do. Have a beer. That, that's it. You don't. If you expect more than that, you're going to sit there and talk to people for three hours and sign books all day. It's not realistic. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's exactly my point I was saying with the example of the baseball stadium is I just decided it, I don't think it was going to be a good market. I wasn't going to try it. It was too expensive, and I didn't think it'd work out. And again, you got to be careful too, because there are some events where you might not have done great in sales, but you don't know what it's going to lead to. You might have come across somebody that's. I did one at a small. Uh, usually at the beginning and the end of the year, I do smaller, like coffee house, uh, more intimate, uh, kind of. Uh, they're not book signings, but just events so people can literally sit down with you with coffee and talk. You, you're not expecting great sales on those ones, but you're just it's it's getting your name out there and getting to meet people. But I've done one of them, and then it was afterwards, about a couple of months later, I was doing a book signing and chapter, and a couple of people that I met walked in saying, oh, I remember seeing your book at this coffee shop, and they made the connection. I mean, that stuff's golden. You can't, you can't buy those kind of things, but you never know what will lead from one seemingly fruitless endeavor to another, because... It happens, you know. It, it does. Sometimes it's just like casting seeds, and eventually a couple of them are going to start growing. <laughs> exactly. I had a um, I had a situation last year. Once the the show um, peaked out of what I don't know, I, without without embarrassing myself, um, there's probably only from my own research maybe sixty or seventy literary podcasts like on the entire planet. There's just not many. It's just not a big part of, of podcasting. I don't know why, but it isn't. And 
So the expectations for both for my network or for anyone else were actually pretty low. So um, of course I, you know, shattered those because I didn't think, think it'd be a problem to do so. Because I just felt that once you had a show out there, was talking about things that are relevant, that make some sense to people that they want to hear about, they, they're going to listen, and they did. I had a network. Uh, they, they said, "Well, listen, Mick, we'll, we'll we'll bring you on board. We'll pay you so you can actually make an income doing this." And blah, blah, blah. But once I read the details, I'm like, no, I'm happy with what I'm doing. There's no point of this because sometimes it's not about losing money. It's about losing who you are. And that's what happens sometimes if you you go the wrong way on things. You know, they want to be be, be somebody else. I mean, they'll be able to give me a huge audience and, and huge publicity. But again, I have to be somebody else to do that. I can't do the show I want. There's no point taking that kind of an offer because I can't be somebody different. Not because I physically can't be something different or psychologically can't be something different because I will not be somebody different. You know, at 55, um, I'm content of who I am. And I'm not interested in being somebody else for a couple of dollars or talk about things that I'm not interested in. That's the only reason, the only reason I do this show is because I get to choose what I want to talk about. And I get to talk about things that I find interesting that I give a crap about. Otherwise, I wouldn't put the time into it. Or try to expand the show or do anything else. I can't do that kind of energy on something else I don't believe in. And I, I can't do the show with all these bells and whistles and they're overproducing it. And you got a producer you got to check with. And I'm like, what? The hell out of here. I check with the bathroom and then I start the show. That, that's what my life with this thing is. <laughs> I don't need anything else. <laughs> so it's silly. So those are decisions we have to oftentimes make too. Is we have to make sure that we don't do things, um, whether by design or accident, you know, that'll compromise who we are because in the end, you're not going to get far that way either. You, you'll, you'll be somebody else and then you, you'll fail in that regard. And it's okay to be failing uh, when you're yourself because you get back up and figure out something new. But if you turn to somebody else and then you fail that way, I mean, what the hell is that about? Yeah, I failed when I was a phony. I mean, yeah, you probably should fail. Yeah. No, that, that that see that that ties back into the whole. Um, like I said earlier, I think part of an author's job description is to rattle people's cages, to wake them up. Because if you are like you were saying, if you are trying to become something you're not, or following the status quo, and that's my favorite to see all the time. I can't count how many ads I see on social media or everywhere about take this course and you'll learn how to be a writer. And I'm thinking, well, no, that's and generic that's exactly what you shouldn't be doing yeah you, have, you should actually be standing out on your own you should be actually taking a lead that's the only reason i wanted that drives that's the only reason i want to do the show and, and we've been very fortunate you know to continue to grow i've been uh really really uh happy that a writer's relief an organization has named us as the number one uh literary podcast out there and, and put us on their site of that so that's what i'm really a real boost and a shot in the arm but the only reason that's even true is because I'm just trying to be who I am. I'm not trying to be somebody else. Trying to say it as it is and try to get into subjects and things that people can use and maybe they can relate to and understand. And and that's it. I'm not trying to be somebody else. And you, if you saw the show they pitched to me, I'm like, who the hell is going to take that show over? Because that's not me. Hey, Mark, um, we like that you don't do politics and, and, and religion. But can you tone it down on the literary stuff? I'm like, 
<laughs> I'm like, dude, this is a literary show. What the hell are you talking about? Tone it down on the literary stuff? Yeah, man, you know, that depression stuff, man, that's a kind of a downer. Um, yeah, depression, unfortunately, is part of the creative arts, and we got a lot of people that are tackling with that. They like to hear something about that once in a while. They like to know that there's other people dealing with that. They like to know that there's maybe ways they can, you know, they can uh, they can still write and, and have a life and, and have some hope. And uh, I don't know why why I want to have a show that doesn't talk about that just because, what, I'm talking to the suburban housewife that's eating candy? It's crazy. It, it, it's it's funny, and I think we need to have more transparency within the community about that kind of stuff, too, because it was um, a month or two ago. I don't remember how long ago it was. I got this, I don't even know what to call it, uh, message, email. It can't, I can't call it a book review because the guy came right out and said he hasn't read anything of mine. And it was just this, it was, it was just hate. It was just, it was shocking. One of the few things that you catch sometimes, and it's just right out of left field. And then I was on a forum with a couple of other author friends I have as well talking about it. And it was this one, the particular one that she's new. And she had said, well, she didn't think I should be talking about that or bad mouthing. And I wasn't bad mouthing. I was just sharing the incident. And then it was somebody else had voiced in and said, no, no, we need to hear this because we need to understand that everybody gets negativity sometimes. And how do you deal with it? And it's normal. I mean, it's, it's not great, but we need to understand that everybody's life, every author's life is not sunshine and lollipops. Because if we believe that, when those bad things happen, we feel something terrible, terrible has gone on. But if we share it and talk about it, even if it's not nice, even if it is a little bit ugly, we can realize, hey, I'm not alone here. I'm, I'm not the only one that gets this sometimes. I'm not, you know, I'm not the monster they're trying to paint me out to be. It's just one individual having a meltdown. And I think that's important because that, that ties into our mental health, right? And that really affects a lot of authors because the process is a very lonely, isolated one. It's rare that you have a sounding board to share and talk with. And I think that's critical. Just as a human being, I think that's critical. It was one of the things, because you're, you're definitely right, for us to air that out once in a while is, is important because sometimes people won't do that even amongst the privacy of their friends. Sometimes the arts or even a show like this can be can be instrumental in that. So I wanted that as much as the show to be about certain topics about you know how to construct a poem, what's going on with fiction, playwriting, interviewing writers that are out there, classic ones, and talking a little bit about Poe and all that. I also wanted to be a, a general sounding board on some of the issues that people deal with on a regular basis that are not normally talked about. I did a scan of literally every single literary show that's out there on the podcast, I couldn't find a single one of them. One episode in the entire catalog of all of these shows that even talked about depression, even as a sub-segment, nothing. No, we don't want to do that. That's not literary. Oh, really? I just I just showed you in one show how there's like a cast of 100 writers that were dealing with this, the ones that literally destroyed their lives over it. But no, let's not talk about that. <laughs> that's crazy. That is crazy, you know, to not talk about people who have these issues. It, that that in itself is crazy. It becomes the elephant in the room, and you know, it, and it, it is something that needs to be brought forth. And I've listened to some of your podcasts on that topic, and they're healthy. It needs to be said, and because again, like we said earlier, the the process is a very isolated, lonely one, and it's easy if, if you're by yourself on stuff it's easy to get lost in that it's very easy to get lost when you find yourself in a dark place and sometimes you just need that voice saying yeah i've been there too you get up the other side it's all good 
that could that could be the difference between an ending a person and them coming out healthy. And it's always a concern of mine. You know, I've had a few people that emailed me, and I'm like, listen, not only am I not reading your email on the show, but I'm going to direct you over to somebody I think you should talk to right now and give them the number. Because I got a, yeah. I got a few people out there yeah. that do that, especially with veterans and some other folks. And I'm like, why don't you talk with these folks? See what you can do, okay? Doesn't mean I don't want to talk to you. It's just that. Uh, the show might be uh, not really far enough for you, uh, but I like you to come back to us, and I like you to be able to go out there and do something. But you can't do that if you're contemplating leaving us. I need you to stay. So sometimes that's what you have to do because you got some folks that could be on the border of that, and you know that's real. It's not a, an exaggeration. Uh, it's not a, a drama, you know, and, and it's certainly not a, a stereotype. Uh, people tackle this all the time. Sometimes people you don't even realize are tackling it. So I, I find the show can be helpful in that regard. And I've been I've been fortunate that people have been pretty positive about that. And 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 that and that's good yeah. because I always said to myself, I, I said, listen, I want to talk about things that are helpful to to writers. And it was only as I began doing the show that I realized that became more of a prevailing topic that I didn't realize at first was. It wasn't part of my initial, you know, genesis of the show. I'm going to talk about writing and depression and blah. It wasn't even on my list. I realized later on when I was started talking to people and hearing more about it, I'm like, I got to start talking about this too. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah it's funny where things take on lives of their own. I like when stuff like that happens. I, I just I just started figuring uh, it's not being done a lot. In fact, it's not being done at all. So I wanted it to be more relevant to people and, and definitely, uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to be flashing suicide phone numbers, you know, on the on the show over here or something, you know, but uh, in in regards to that privately, you know, sometimes you got to help somebody a little bit more. I do what I can, you know, but it definitely by speaking about this, I think it helps more people try to come out of that type of closet. There's a lot of closets that are people in for all kinds of reasons. And I always tell people on the show, you know, you got your pros and cons for that, so I'm not going to judge you. But on depression, I I still feel strongly that it, you should never be in the closet for that. You should always be out. There's always somebody that's willing to help you if you're willing to reach out, always. So I'm always militant about that. There's a lot of things I'm not militant on, but on that I am. And I'm sure no, that's uh, I think I'm not giving it for a second. That's that that's definitely key. It has to be. I'm I'm sure you come across some people like this yourself. It's not like you know, well, only a few people are out there. It's it's a segment of, of of the community for sure. It's not it's not a it's not a joke. And um, they should have a, a voice too, and not just in the writing, but a, a, you know, a voice outside of that to let them know that. You know, they could still do this and still be relevant, you know, and not feel like they're, you know, some alien creature or, you know, some somebody's uh, clever Latin handicap or something. Because, you know, they have all these different names for them. But I don't like any of those names. To me, they don't mean anything. You know, it means schizophrenic this, bipolar that. To me, there's a bunch of crappy names. I don't even know what the hell that's supposed to mean. I know that there are people that are suffering from depression and there are people that are not. It's truly that black and white. And the ones that are, uh, they can get help from all of us as well as from others, maybe even professional at times. But it's something that can be 
overcome. Maybe it can't be cured, but it can be overcome. So where you can have a real life, you can have a creative world, and you can still do things productive, and you don't have to feel, you know, like you're you're some kind of a shameful person or something. So I'm glad that we're out there trying to do that. And I, I know in your in your own world, you, you're, you're trying to do the same thing because everything that that Michelle does, I feel, is extremely positive and productive for writing because, again, you never know when that person could sink to that level just because they don't know what to do next. And, and in many ways, you know, Michelle shines the light on, on people's uh, dark days so for them to make it see, well, there's a direction we can go. The one thing that struck me the most in the, the past, I guess, I don't know, I'm going to say past two years-ish, I've been invited to speak at small writing groups sometimes, you know, amateurs, hobbies, whatever. And oftentimes they have the, their own stuff. They do little short little readings of what they put together. And what struck me the most is there's some really jaw-dropping, amazing talent out there, and they don't realize it. And it's, you know... and I'm not going to say I'm exempt from this because I'm not. Fear is a huge thing that holds you back. It's scary putting yourself out there. It really is. It truly is. But, We've had that you know, on the show a couple of times, definitely. Yeah. But I see these, you know, these these amateurs that it would be easy for them to take that step and, you know, go forward. And what kills me the most about that is other than, you know, in addition to having that fear of going forward, there is a lot of, I don't know what I want to call them, they really piss me off. Um, they're predatory. They're, they call themselves publishing houses or self-publishing houses. And they basically, they'll take you to cleaners. Yeah, they're vanities. We talk about you know, it a lot. Yeah, it, it's terrible because you could have somebody that has a great potential and great talent, and then all of a sudden, one mistake and they're going to the wrong place like that, and... Like, I know one woman that reached out was going through one particular one, and she had a book out that got her zero copies, print copies, and she had put over $5,200 into it. Yep. She's never going to see back. Never. And it's, it's, you know, it's a horrible thing to have to say that. But, you know, you have to wash your hands of it, walk away. And, you know, that's why I always say when I talk to people, there's only one of two ways to go. Either go your full-blown traditional publisher and see, you know, submit your manuscript. You should not be putting a penny up front, or go independent. There's no middle ground. Anything in between that, any anything in that gray area is a scam. Yeah, it's it's exactly the message I put out. I even put a couple shows at that. And oftentimes I get in Facebook and I, I directly message people. Can you please stay away from that crap? It's vanity. You're not doing anything to help yourself or the arts. You would not believe how many people are resistant no. to that. Oh, you know your business. Stay out of it. I'm like, okay. I've had to help at least two people with attorney generals here in America to get their money back. And in both instances, we only able to get a partial refund as the, the, the crooks are literally kicking and screaming. Even as the attorney general is telling yeah. them that, listen, what you did might have been technically legal, but we still have some grounds that what you did was still false in terms of how you advertised it. So, therefore, we think you owe them something. And that was the only reason we got some money yeah. back. But guess what? Even the money we got back... It still paled in comparison with the money I put out. I had a lady put out ten thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. Yeah, that that's ridiculous. Like, and and what gets me like my my background is in the print industry. I have over thirty years in print and in publishing to some smaller degree, but the technology today with the print on demand, we should not be seeing this kind of stuff 
ever. We should not ever be seeing that scale of money going out ever because it's not necessarily anymore. We don't need to. And I think that is the rise, reason why we're seeing the rise of the independent authors. It is within our grasp to do it. I mean, no more gone are the days where I have to buy a garage full of books just to get my price point so low. That's not like that anymore. And it shouldn't be. And a lot of people just don't know that. And they need to do, they need to avoid these, like you're calling the vanity publishers. And, but the thing is, these are the ones that market themselves the most. They're the ones you will come across the most or quickest. And it's like you said, you, that you, you've tried to help them out. and There's a lot of resistance. I think what the draw is, it's, they're selling you everything you want to hear. And it's like the old adage, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. It, it is. I had a woman just, I don't know, two weeks ago. She emailed me out of the blue. He said, are you willing to review this book? I checked out the publisher. It's a hybrid. I said, lady, I, I already have a, a standing order on my, my site that I, I'm not going to review books or, or entertain any books that, that have anything to do with vanity. She goes, well, I didn't actually pay for the publishing. I go, this is a cooperative publisher. They call it all kinds of different names. Lady, I know everything about this particular industry. There's nothing I don't know about it. Which means that if you didn't pay them on the front end and you tell everybody that, you're fooling yourself and you're lying to yourself because it means that later on when you have to buy back their copies for you to sell them, that's what you're doing and they're going to get you on the back end. So it, no matter what end they're getting you, you're getting. Okay, You're doing it with money and therefore it's not legitimate. It's not art in my opinion. I won't do it. I won't deal with it. You know, It's pretty much email me telling me to drop dead. And that's fine. I'll drop dead, but I'm not paying anybody for my work. I can tell you that. I'll drop dead with nobody having to worry about that. And I'm not going to review anybody that does that. I guess I guess at the end of the day, what people need to understand, and I had to ask myself this as well. Like I said, this year, publishing the first two books that weren't my own work, you're now you're not just a publisher in the sense of publishing yourself. You're a publisher because you're publishing other people's work. You have to ask the question. That's an important question. Is what is a publisher's real job? And at the end of the day, a publisher's job is not to print it. It's basically to distribute and market. And it, ultimately, if we were to cut it down to its most basic level, is a publisher's job is to invest in the writer. And it doesn't necessarily mean money, but it includes that as well, is they believe in you. And, you know, if they're the ones that are telling you that you need to put money up front or any of these things, that's a warning sign. Right. Get out. I tell people all the time that, and you're completely right. It's a perfect way of putting it, too. Because if you think about it in the end, if you decide to turn your back on that nonsense, and let's say go the independent author route, then you're using your labor and your money to invest in yourself. What the hell better to invest in is in yourself rather than some stranger who's robbing and laughing at you? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I go back to my point about excuse me, having to have a business model mentality at times. You look at these vanity publishers and they want you to, you know, their, their stories are always going to be different. They're going to make one up. Um, they want you to put X amount of dollars up front to get it going and then to get everything else. But I always look at it like this. So if they don't have a vested interest in my success, and if I pay up front, they no longer have a vested interest because they've got their money. What's the point of it? You know, we should be tied hand in hand with my success or my failure. And if they don't want to do that, well, maybe we should question that. Uh, you definitely, you definitely should. 
I, I told folks, if you want to deal with other publishers, not a dime of your money should ever go out. But with that said, yeah. that doesn't mean that you send them something like 1950s and then you go to sleep in your basement for a couple of months. They still expect, and in, even in some instances by contract, demand your participation. doesn't mean your money, but it means that whatever marketing arm you can provide, you're obligated to do so because you're now a, a partner in that venture. And I'd be shocked on how many writers yeah. have told me I'm not really interested in that, Mark. I've gotten some people actually offer things. They're like, I don't know how to build a social media culture and I don't know how to do this. Well, then, you know, you might want to learn because there's nobody on earth right now. I mean, there's not a publisher left right now that literally doesn't have into its contract things that they expect you to already have and do. Website, social media following, uh, means to do interviews, all these other things they would want you to do. Whatever interviews they might set up for you to do, they expect you to be there to do. All the stuff has already been asked before they even look at your book. If you can't give them an adequate answer, they won't even look at your book. I, I keep telling writers all the time, marketing has become so important that a major publisher, if you actually get them to express interest in you, you got like six sheets. You got to fill up all the stuff they asked. Guess what? None of it's about your book. What's your grandmother's maiden name? You know, does your mother wear red shoes? Um, how you how you doing on Instagram? I mean, this is the stuff they be asking you. How many damn followers do you have on Facebook? Do you have a cool like website that tells people about your work? Are you are you a decent speaker on an interview? Can you do a radio show? I mean, the, the stuff they ask you is unbelievable. None of it's about your book per se. It's about marketing your book. So if you think that you're going to get away from marketing by not doing your own independent thing. And somebody else is going to do it for you. Well, no, you're still doing it yourself. You just have a, a, a partner now versus doing it all by yourself. But you're still doing it. You're not getting away from it. So if you don't learn now, you, you, you're not really going to go far, unfortunately. You're going to have a rude awakening. I tell people this all the time. They don't even believe me. Then they email one me day. Mark, I just got a contract. I can't believe you're right. I, I don't know why you can't believe you're right. You think I just said that because it's fun to lie to you? Like I just I wake up and just make up stories? I already I tell you this because I already turned down a few already myself. They even gave me an advance, and I'm like, I, I don't want to do any of this crap this way. No, I'm not interested in that. Not at all. It makes no sense. Then I got a book trapped up and writes with them for years for what? When was I want to just turn my back and do my own thing? I won't be able to. It's all stuck there then. Yeah. For what? For something I don't yeah. really believe in? Uh, on 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 a marketing plan that almost entirely is me. And I'm getting like, I think in one instance, they were going to give me six cents for every book they sold with, with, a, with yep. a modest, with a modest um, uh, upfront fee. So guess what? I'll probably never see a royalty from them for like five years or something, no matter how much I push things. Because at six cents, I still got to pay back the money they give me. And none of it makes any sense because it, it's not realistic. You know, and that was just for a nonfiction book. That wasn't anything I was doing on a, in the creative arts area. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me. No, I'd rather just do this myself then. So uh, I tell people this because yeah. it's it's so standard now. You know, I knew about it in advance, and even when the contract came to me, I still had a hard time digesting it. Even if, even after I knew about it, I still looked at it and go, you got to be kidding me. Really? The stuff on it was just unbelievable. That, then uh, that's what I say with it. Like, again, going back to asking the question about what is a publisher's job, um, I believe one of them is uh, marketing and promoting. 
And if they're expecting you to do it, like you said, you got to sit back and say, so I'm doing the work, but I'm getting six pennies a book. Mm, doesn't take a rocket science to do the math on that one. I think there are limited times on a smaller press, maybe even medium-sized press, where even if they don't give you a, any kind of an honorarium, you know, they're, they're going to produce your book. There's no vanity. It's all legitimate. And they say, listen, we'd like you to, you know, go out there and get a couple of interviews. Go solicit some people to do some reviews and stuff like that. Yeah, you should do that. You're obligated to do that. It only makes common sense. I don't think you need to, you know, do a radio show on Nepal, you know, 40 degrees below zero or something. But you, you definitely should be out there and, and, and being a partner in that way. But that's not the same thing as a major place literally telling you we're going to give you nothing. And we want you to do everything. All we're going to do is just run the book off at a printer. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that's exactly what I was saying. Like I said, with the background I have in print is I know quite a few printers that market themselves as publishers, and they are not. They are printers. That's all they are. It, it's not. I, it, it sounds crazy to say this. It's not hard to print a book. It's very easy, actually. Uh, it's everything else that's hard. The challenges in all the other aspects of it, selling it. At the end of the day, uh, no, no doubt about it. But I liked, and I that's one of the first things I said to you when I got Sun and Moon in the mail, and I'm like, my God, this thing is just put together so damn well. It was like the best like constructed chapbook that I've ever seen in my life, and I've been around a long time. And I'm like, the first thing I laughed to myself I was like, what the hell are they doing in Canada? Because America's not doing this. It, it was just everything about it that was quality. The art. The, the paper, uh, the the way it felt, the way it opened up, the binding. I mean, it, the, it was it was art before I even read the damn book. So it was just it was just great. Thank you. That's nice. Uh, it was to just, hear. It it was really just real impressive. I liked it. I liked it that much. I even put it in my my sitting room when I had guests over the house. I just put it over there, you know, for them to check out. And you know, and, um, I kept saying, you know, that's not from America. We we need to get like that. Okay, that's from Canada. And naturally, they all say, yeah, of course, it's from Canada. It'd be nice if we did something great here in America. I'm like, well, one day. Let's just follow Canada for now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a real example of when a person, in the, in, the, in the guise of a publisher, has enough, not only professionalism, but pride in the product. When somebody gets it in their hands, they're automatically saying, even without reading the book. I don't care if it's a positive prejudice or not. I think this is going to be a great read because I'm already feeling this damn book is awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. It's what they call in real estate curb appeal. If your curb looks really good, there's a good chance in the house, the inside of the house is going to look good too. If it looks like horrible outside, yeah. they figure you haven't cleaned anything, they're probably right. Well, again, that goes back to what I was saying earlier about the cover. You have to, your cover is what catches people's attention. It, it's you have a window of about a half a second, and if it doesn't do that job, you're you're luck. Yeah, so I mean, that's just so I'm so impressed by that, and it just really brings to you know to life all the things I talk about on the show, uh, the things that you do, the things that you produce, the things that you write. You know, it, it's almost like uh, I wake up and and then I'm not dreaming because Michelle's out there doing the same things that I've been talking about because you know. Michelle, I'm no different than anybody else. I have my days where I'm like, is anyone listening? Uh, does anyone give a damn? I mean, I appreciate the emails, but didn't I just cover this like 29 times? Don't spend a dollar. 
on some thief. And if you don't spend a dollar, don't spend a thousand. What the hell? You know, um, so sometimes it could be uh, not only frustrating and infuriating, but sometimes it's just like, what the hell? Uh, why would they not listen to this? Why would I say this otherwise? What agenda could I have? Because if I'm telling you not to spend money in these bad places, I'm not telling you to spend money over the me. I don't even market my own stuff on the show very much. And I do that on purpose because I have other means of doing so. I don't need to be blaring about, you know, I got this or I got that. I, I, it's all about other people and as it should be. But I'm not telling you to go to this publisher because I just told you that publisher sucks. So therefore, if I told you I don't have an agenda, then why the hell would you not want to listen then? No, it's true. I mean, it's I've banged my head against that wall too often. That's why I literally had to put the rule in: don't send me a book unless you just want me to keep it as a, you know, a souvenir or just something to read as a gift. If you want me to review it, because if it's done by any of these people, and I give you all the names, okay? Hybrid publisher, cooperative publisher. Uh, partnership publisher, Vanity Pub, they all have a different name now. There's a new one out there calling themselves, we're the self-publisher publisher. We help you self-publish, <laughs> which is really a play on words, just another damn Vanity Publisher. But it's all the same thing. Yeah. You don't even have to worry about the terms anymore, okay? It's real easy. If they ask you for a quarter, run. Because if they ask you a quarter for today, they're going to ask you for $3,000 tomorrow, okay? If they ask you for any money, it's not legit. It's just that simple. There's no other reasons behind it. If you want to live in denial, I guess you can. But it's just money out the window. You're not going to go anywhere. You actually harm the artistic community. You damage your own efforts. No one's going to take you seriously. I'm not the only one now that won't take books that have been uh, published by Vanity. I used to be the only one, but I've seen a few more now starting to take that. I've talked to a few editors that thought they were. I was being a little bit mean-spirited. I'm like, I don't know how I'm being mean-spirited. How can I talk about the ethics of this ridiculous practice and the pain of listening to people cry because they took their husband's money because they thought they were going to make all this money and hit some lottery and they find out they're being robbed and try to help them through all of that. Yeah. But then I'm going to review people's books that are getting published by that. What kind of hypocrite would that make me? I mean, I'm a complete jerk then. So no, I'm going to follow through the logic of what I'm telling you. I'm going to actually practice everything possible that I'm preaching on that subject. I will not deal with that at all because it is wrong. It is. Uh, it certainly isn't immoral because it's just about money, but it's definitely unethical and there's nothing artistic about it. And it does hurt people. I, I hate because it's going to happen one day. I hate to hear one day someone's going to commit suicide because they spent money that they didn't have and, and now they're in trouble and they're stuck because that can happen. And these people... Yeah. These people out well, there, they'll be, really they'll be responsible for that kind of perversion. They really would be. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. I mean, the other aspect people, authors need to be aware of, too, when approaching certain publishers or these kind of publishers, going back to the story I was talking about with the woman that approached me and spent over $5,200 for zero copies, uh, she realized she'd been had. Basically, I guess she came to the conclusion, I'm not going to see that money back, and she wanted to get the book self-published on her own. Kudos to her. But then she had, I don't remember the numbers now, but she had to, they actually owned the copyright. They ended up owning the copyright. So she had to pay them again to buy her manuscript back. And it's just, you know, that's it, it, 
people aren't aware of that is you need to know who maintains ownership. Just because you wrote it, yes, you own it. But the second it goes to somebody, it, you need to ask those questions. You need to be clear. And that's one of the things with uh, Thin Places when I did that anthology, I was very clear with them that they maintain ownership. They, it's theirs. They get to keep it. If they want to publish it again, if they want to publish it on their own, if they want to submit it to something else, they're free to do that. It's not my work. It's their work. Unbelievable. And this, folks got to be more careful with that. You you know, you, you can reach out to Michelle or myself. There are others. In fact, I, I, you don't even need us. If you find a published name, there's a good chance that they already screwed over 10 people. You can Google them. You'd be shocked on how many of these places come right up with people saying they owe me money. They've done this. They've done that. If that's not a warning sign, I don't know what. I mean, I, I know people that tell me privately, Mark, I don't even know why you talk about the subject anymore. Let them get what they deserve. And I know there's always a dark side of myself that's saying, yeah, maybe that's true. But there's other point that says I'm still obligated as long as I have any kind of voice in the community to talk about this because – it's just disgusting, and I'm not any less disgusted today than I was yesterday about it. So I'm going to still talk about it. You can Google things. You can ask other people. You can make a choice right away about, hold off, let me just check something out. Do whatever the hell you can do to not give somebody a dollar until you can verify what you're saying, if that's really what you need to do. But don't plunge your credit card into it. Michelle mentioned a really, really horrible example right there. I can tell you one that I found. That's equally disgusting and happens more often. A vanity publisher told the uh, the writer, well, guess what? If you upgrade this, we'll get the copyright for you and just another $1,000 more. And they did that. Well, guess what? Once you ditched the people anymore, you found that you're getting robbed. Now you can't even put the book out in your own, in your own, on your own ISBN because now you have to change the name and go hold another number because you can't use the other one. So you, you just mess yourself up in that regard in terms of book selling or anything else. So it becomes a confusing mess because they're not doing anything that's really legitimate. They're just doing different things to try to make you feel that way. In many cases, you don't even have the books delivered to you like that person. In other cases, they are delivered to you and they want another fee for that. Or in some cases, and believe it or not, this is the least evil of cases. They might give you a, a fair price if you want to call it a fair price. And then they just give you like 25 books. And then you have to pay them for a bunch more. But however angle and however you get this delivered in the end, it's not necessary to pay somebody. It's always theft. You're never going to see that money again no matter how hard you're out there in market. And more and more places like my own are just simply shying away from that because it is simply revolting. And in many cases, sometimes the writing isn't good. And guess what? And I've, I've found a few cases like that person, that case. The writing was extremely good. I'm literally telling this woman on the email, Michelle, what the hell are you even paying these people for? You should be going out there and either doing this yourself or go get yourself a, a, a publisher, a real one. This is very good writing. Why are you going to give it to thieves? I don't understand. She was really good. Pitfalls to avoid. Really, it really is because I yeah, I hate to not have to review something good, but what are you gonna do? I mean, it's just it's just not acceptable. So what else do we got going on over here? I know you said you have a, a, another interview coming up as well. Yeah, I, I got another radio piece I gotta do later on today. Um, 
yeah, just it's it's been crazy busy just as we're approaching the thirtieth because that's when the copies actually come out, and then uh, going to get some of those copies in the hands of the authors involved with this book too, and see where it goes. Should be exciting. All right. Well, I'm always glad to talk to you, Michelle, about everything you do. Not only do you make a complete sense, but also you really are what I what I call somebody that people should follow. I mean, if you have questions, that's the guy that really asks about many of these things because you're going to get straight answers. You're going to get things that he's actually doing, not giving you a bunch of theories, not giving you a bunch of baloney. And and he is, in my, my opinion, the quintessential modern uh, author and publisher out there. That's why he got the awards. That's why he does well. That's why I have him on the show because, you know, I can count on that I'm talking to somebody that's doing something that's really making a difference, and uh, I'm really happy to be, even be a small part of what you're doing by you, uh, you uh, giving me the real honor of, of writing a foreword. I know it's probably an unusual thing for here somebody to say because usually the author is saying it's it's a it's an honor, but to me it was a great honor because the the work was so good. And you'll find this out, people, if you ever spend any time just trying to help somebody doing a, a, a book review, you know, from a real publisher, you'll find that. If somebody is really good in what they're doing, just like the sports, it helps elevate your game. Well, it's the same thing in writing. You get Michelle's really good writing, and then the next thing you know, I'm I'm writing even better. You know, I had somebody, and this is for the first time, because uh, I've never did a foreword before, by the way. I don't have a lot of practice in that. And I had someone told me, oh, my God, I, that's a, one of the best things I, I've read this year. I mean, that's just incredible to hear somebody say that on, on something that, you know, I, obviously, uh, I, I wrote it to my best of my ability, and, and I just wrote it out of my what I felt about the moment and the time that I read the book, and uh, it, it came out well. I was really happy with it. I know you were, you were pretty uh, happy with it yourself, but uh, I, when I looked on it later, and I heard some other people say the same thing too, the writing was better than even some of my own writing. So whatever you were doing helped elevate me. So it's just incredible how. Another way that writers can help each other because sometimes the writer can inspire the other writer. It doesn't have to be a tree or a koala bear or space or, you know, Edgar Allan Poe. It could be just somebody out there living the same existence trying to do their thing. So uh, I'm actually uh, grateful for you because I, I really felt that that's a solid piece of writing that I'm, I'm proud of. And uh, it's great to be part of the book. Uh, God knows I hope it helps. Uh, but um, I'm, I'm just excited, too, because, you know, I, I feel like I, I really got to put out something that I, I wanted to put out. And it, it happened in, in such an easy task. Usually writing for me is not as easy. Uh, that one was. And, and who knew how well it would turn out? No, you're far too kind, Mark. Um, I've heard the same comments about the forward, too. Really, really positive. I had some people say, oh, where did I get a hold of this guy to write my forward? It was fantastic. It, it's, it was really fantastic. And it's a nice thing to hear. Don't get me wrong. But to speak to that person's point, I, I don't know if I could do that again. I, I Who the hell knows? I mean, uh, sometimes things are, are, are singular. And, and sometimes you just need that inspiration at the moment. I don't know. Maybe I need another Sun and Moon book. I couldn't honestly tell you. I have never done it before. I haven't done it since. But um, I'm very happy with it because of everything I, that, that gelled together. So, I mean, it's just a great book. And, and it worked out. Maybe one day that can happen again. I don't know if it's a goal or something I should strive for, but I, you know, I like to think that, you know, uh, maybe it could happen again. But I also like to think that if it didn't, you know, I feel content that I, I got something really solid out there in that regard. 
you know, and I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty respectful of the, of the whole process because sometimes when you, you can't figure out how to duplicate things, you just have to live with it. It was all good. It was awesome. Very happy about it. Yeah. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I was just just really uh really enthralled by all of that. Well, I'm going to wrap it up this show over here. We definitely had a, a good long one over here and definitely covered a great amount of topics with uh, Michelle uh, Westerwall over in Canada, writer and uh, publisher. Uh, Michelle, if you can like maybe plug some of your sites or some of the stuff that's going on, it's good for people to hear that. Uh, well, locally at least, the, with the pandemic going on, uh, events and locations are always a challenge. Um, I actually am going to be on October 17th and 18th at the Richmond Village Ottawa Fall Fair. Uh, there hasn't been too many this year going on, but it's an outdoor one. So that, I think, is going to be the first event that uh, in places will be available at. Um, it's also available on my online store. You could uh, Google my name, Michelle Weatherall, and the word Wix will lead you right to the website. And then from there, it links up to the on online store as well. It's also available in ebooks on all the platforms. And uh, let's see where it goes. I'm excited about this launch. I, I definitely am uh, too for you. It's always great to have other people out there doing things. I'm glad you plugged that because remember, the podcast is a vehicle that can be heard many times after October. And at least they'll have your site and another way to reach out to you as well. I'm going to kind of market the show uh, as not just an interview with you, but also an afternoon with you and, you know, with a little bit about marketing and publishing. So it kind of gives it a, an additional boost because there really is some relevant information that you produced out there that people can really learn from. And, hey, maybe this can be a, a, a good warning for people, too, to sort of stay away from certain things and, you know, go to the right places. So that, that in, in itself is also uh, exciting. Michelle, thank you very much for spending this time uh, with me and, and with uh, Strength to Be Human and, and definitely helping to, to educate uh, these writers out there, help them tackle fear, help them you know, defeat uh, depression, and, and help them out there write to be successful. God bless. Always a pleasure to be on your show, Mark. Always. All right, folks. Michelle Weatherall. This is Strength to Be Human. I'm your host, Mark Anthony Rossi. That'll be uh, episode 152. I'm going to be calling it an afternoon. Uh, with uh, Michelle Weatherall. God bless, folks. Take care and thank you. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.